Hey, Prime members, you can listen to That Scene with Dan Patrick ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Just a heads up, there's some questionable or inappropriate language in this episode with John Cena, so be advised, you may not want the kids to be listening to this one with you. Hey, uh, Mark Wahlberg, shut your bitch up. Mark Wahlberg? Me? Who else looks like Mark Wahlberg? Your girl? Mark Wahlberg's like 150 pounds. I'm 250 lean. I look like Mark Wahlberg ate Mark Wahlberg. I've had that comparison just because of our geography. We're both New England guys. We both have a similar look. I just went into a reactionary state where I was like, I've heard this a bunch of times. I'm trying to talk smack. So I'm like, I, I'm this weight. How do you not see that? How can you call me Mark Wahlberg? I would be two Mark Wahlbergs. And that led to, to that. Welcome to That Scene with me, Dan Patrick, an Amazon original podcast where I get to talk to Hollywood's top actors and directors about some of the most iconic scenes that have defined their careers, helped shape the cinematic landscape, and even become fixtures in pop culture. On today's show, we're joined by wrestler, actor, and former rapper John Cena. John was born in West Newberry, Massachusetts in 1977, moved to L.A. when he was 21 to pursue a career as a bodybuilder. In 1999, he transitioned to professional wrestling, landing in the WWE in 2001, where he quickly rose through the ranks, becoming the face of the franchise for the next decade. John began a career in acting in 2006 with the WWE-produced action film The Marine, which led to a slew of other film roles. In 2015, he acted in the ensemble comedy Trainwreck, which starred Bill Hader and Amy Schumer, the film was directed by Judd Apatow and was a smash hit at the box office, earning over $140 million off a $35 million budget. John just recently starred in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, as well as the comedy film Vacation Friends, which premiered on Hulu August 27th. The scene in question today is from the movie Trainwreck, where Amy Schumer provokes John's character to get into a fight at the movie theater. The movie scene in Trainwreck, where you're sitting there with, with Amy, and you have the couple behind you, how much is improv? How much is it Amy feeding you lines, or it's just as scripted? I think the great thing about Judd is he gets the page always, and then allows his performers to play around. And whether that's him yelling out what to say, or him just absorbing what you, what you say... That scene when we filmed it, first of all, be around funny people. Second, it was the subliminal character work that I did to craft Amy's boyfriend. And that was kind of like that dude's bubbling over at that moment. I will fuck you, all right? I will enter you. You're going to enter me? You hear what he said? What are you talking about right now? I'm just trying to intimidate you. You're just talking about raping him. It was the perfect avenue for me to take chances on... You know, I thought this guy wanted to be married and have two and a half kids and a white picket fence, but he's always at the gym and maybe he's just confused about who he is <laughs> and just and literally just take chances with how far I could push that. But he has to remain tough and manly and, you know, toxically masculine and just explore those ideas and at the same time, you know, make fun of yourself in the process. Okay, while you were outside getting high, I was putting your phone on silent for the movie. And when I did that, I noticed you have all these guys in your phones. Brody, this guy listed as hot as balls. Stop smiling. I'm not smiling. Those are guys from work. 
Can we just watch this movie? You know what? No, I can't. Because as I was turning off your phone, I got a picture of somebody's dick. It was mine. You know, fuck you, Tone Loke. You want to take it to the parking lot? Fine. You can't find me, I'll be the closest one on Grinder. What was your favorite line in that scene? I love being able to try to talk the dude into like, for lack of a better term, like a fuck fight. <laughs> We're going to go settle this in the parking lot. And it's not going to be what you think. What if someone was really talking shit, wanting to start a fight, but also confused about what that may be because he's confused about himself and maybe this is a cry for help. I'm not sure. And then, you know, when he says, you know, hey, Mark Wahlberg, and, you know, you're like, Mark Wahlberg, he's like 150 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I look like the guy who ate Mark Wahlberg. I've had that comparison just because our, our geography we're both New England guys. We, we both have a similar look, but we both have a very sizable difference. I just went into a reactionary state where I was like, I've heard this a bunch of times. I'm trying to talk smack. So I'm like, I, I'm this weight. How do you not see that? How can you call me Mark Wahlberg? I would be two Mark Wahlbergs. And that led to, to that. And you're both uh, musicians, rappers. Yeah, I hung out in my underwear in the Suicide Squad, so we're kind of like both underwear models, too. You know, I actually played his adversary in Daddy's Home. Honestly, I think it was that moment in Trainwreck, and Mark Wahlberg himself was like, hey, we, we need to get John for the button of Daddy's Home. How long would uh, Mark last in the ring? Mark would be fine. I just think it would be developing that callus, uh, getting used to falling down all the time, but anyone who has the charisma to hold an audience, WWE is made for that. I'm so glad that they don't take the plunge and experience the the energy for themselves because I'd be totally out of work. How does the script for Trainwreck get to you in the first place? I had to read for it. Like in a typical read, you're given a scene and then you go in and read for the scene and then you can get the script. So I auditioned for it and Amy's brilliant and, and Judd's reputation is amazing. So for me to just sit in the same room was great. But in, instead of being intimidated, I just kind of went in and had some fun and, and developed ideas about the character. And then uh, Amy's so good at improv, she would throw out some stuff and I would go back and forth. And then Judd obviously is good at improv as well. So he would facilitate us. Literally, I remember us reading the scene, reading the scene, then I'm saying, put it down. We're just going to talk. And then we just went back and forth. And that was when they're like, okay, yeah, you're, you're hired. We'll send you the script. But to understand your character or make it yourself, how much encouragement went along with that? Tons. The script was literally just for an athletic sex scene. There's a montage in Trainwreck where she goes through a series of relationships that are bad and why they're bad. And mine was supposed to be like, this guy was, you know, in good shape, but, but damn, the sex was just too athletic. I was uh, spent the whole time. And it went from being athletic sex to what you see on screen as the most awkward intercourse you've ever seen in your entire life to this dude who's trying to be intimate, but like telling you about his language lessons and then is so pumped that we like, yeah, we did it. Like, it's just so <laughs> awkward. Can we mix it up a little bit? Please talk dirty to me. Come on. Uh, Amy, no. Come on, just... That's not something I do well at. I'm not really verbal, okay? I'm more physical in how I communicate. You're going to be great at it. I'm going to sound stupid. I don't want to sound stupid. You're not going to sound stupid. Clear your mind and say whatever pops in, okay? Just try it. Just say anything. All right. Phil, you... <sighs> Protein, yeah. I'm gonna give you the protein you need to survive when you're making muscles. I'm gonna put my green drink in, yeah, yeah. Beta carotene and vegetable mix. Can it not be about protein or, or energy or nutrition? Can you just talk about like sex stuff? 
And that was all built and formulated. I mean, we had stunt rehearsals to make sure that we were doing the athletic stuff right. Uh, kudos to, to Judd and Amy for being able to pivot and try something new and deviate. That has nothing to do with me and, and everything to do with them. What was it like to see it going into a theater? Oh, I laughed my ass off. Apparently, after seeing it, I still had my ass because my ass was on in the movie. So, <laughs> Who did you hear from that surprised you with your performance? I just came out in like 2015, I think. Yeah. The fact that we're still talking about it now. You right now. You know, you're, We're talking about something that we did a long time ago. I still hear people on the street say, oh, I loved you in Trainwreck. But comedy is so hard to do, John. I don't think we honor people who do it really well, you know, as far as the film industry, but it was true comedy. Yeah, but I think entertainment is tough to do. How many movies come out every year? How many are deemed a success? Very few of the totality. It's like being a major league hitter. It is a business riddled with failure. If you hit three out of 10, you make it to the Hall of Fame. That's gold in the entertainment industry too. So a lot of times you got to be brave enough to, to take some chances. And I think that's where... We get moments that you talk about years later. So you don't separate the performance with true what comedy is and the performance of comedy. Because you have to have funny lines. I mean, there are a lot of guys who physically are funny, but that payoff is those the lines that are there. You know, Jackie Chan is one of the greatest physical storytellers of our generation. Chaplin, Buster Keaton, comedy is is I guess what we make of it. If we if we decide that that something is funny and that's for the audience to decide, but it it takes that that brave chance on the performer. Where did the comedic timing come from? I think it's just me taking myself serious and everybody laughing at me for it. <laughs> yeah, but you have a knack. I mean, there's it's not as simple as that. There's something to that being a performer. Maybe to draw a little bit off of a sports reference, uh, surround yourself with very funny people when they can create an environment that allows me to take chances. I think you get gold. It's not necessarily live TV, so you can provide that environment to bomb and say, okay, we'll just we'll try it another way. Being surrounded by people in comedy is the first step. They're good walls to bounce material off of. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Was there a line in Trainwreck that you didn't want to deliver? No. That was the first time... Somebody said, like, yeah, just push it and see how far you can go. Like I said, the environment. I was surrounded by comedians. It honestly put me in a no-lose situation, like a nothing-to-lose, swing-for-the-fences sort of thing. But the performer in you, when you're in the ring, you don't get another take, as opposed to when you're doing a scene, you know, with Amy Schumer. It's like, let's do it again. That feeling of, I got to get this right in, when I'm wrestling, to I get another shot when I'm acting. Yeah, but I think that's also where the timing comes from. 
what we do in WWE is all based off of noise and doing things appropriately according to the noise. It's very, very unpredictable. It runs a lot of parallels with stand-up. You tell a joke and you hear no noise, you got some quick decisions to make on what you're going to do next. But explain that noise, though. As you're wrestling, you're in the moment. There's like low-level background noise of interest. There's a noise of apathy. There's a noise of disgrace. There's noise of excitement, noise wanting to boo the bad guy. Like there's all sorts of and all types of noise. And you have to be ready to be surprised. And you as a performer have to use the bag of tricks that you have or the tools that you have to be like, I need to do this now. It's, it's very much like a quarterback getting up to the line of scrimmage and seeing a different formation and making a split-second decision to audible. The chances of John Cena losing to Rey Mysterio. That's like Big Show at a buffet ordering one Cheerio. <laughs> you can say you're a grown man. I just don't believe you. You're a baby. I don't know whether to spank you or breastfeed you. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the moment. Like SummerSlam, the greatest sound to hear was, you know, certainly the interest. It's that buzz before the bell rings. They want you guys to take you on this ride, this story. And then, like, surprises at the end when, when Brock Lesnar came out and no, no one knew what the hell was going on. Those are really cool when you can surprise the audience, too, because those are so, so very rare. What do you think of the ponytail on Brock? I didn't notice the ponytail. I noticed that he was the size of two Brock Lesnar's. That's pretty much <laughs> he he looks he looks mean and nasty no no matter what. And and I just think he's trying to stretch the boundaries of that to see what he can pull off. But he he is just he's an anomaly. He's 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 one of, if not the best ever. When you're acting in the ring and acting in a movie, any correlation, parallels? You know, I used to think they were so different and and now looking at them at a different perspective, I think they're very similar. Being able to certainly get into character and get, create a sense of uh, realistic believability, like plausible reality, we both tell stories. I think it's just a matter of the volume you tell the story. A lot of the stuff on the big screen, when you see everything on a big screen, is really like nuances mean the world. And in WWE, you know, we were just in Allegiant Stadium and the third mezzanine is sold. I have to let that person know what the hell is going on. So you really do have to be uh, broad with your reach and animated with your delivery. You have a lot of athletes who talk about that nervous energy that you have before you play a game. What is that feeling like prior to going into the ring? Any similarities? I think it's probably a, a little bit more stressful. If they don't care about you when you run out of the tunnel, they will care when you win. That's sometimes different in WWE. If they don't care about you when you run out of the tunnel, they may not care about you when you win. It's more of like the nervous energy maybe a musician would have to see like, man, I hope they know the material or they're happy to see me or they want to be entertained by the set that I have. It's athletically based. It's like a combination of all of it. But it feels like it's a, a school play where, you know, there's, there's no take two. You're out there, you're performing. There is no wrong. If something happens, the beauty of that medium is it's now what happens. Like that's now what's going on. The greatest and most unforgettable moments, a lot of the biggest oohs and ahs have come from stuff that wasn't necessarily scripted or not supposed to happen. I've been in matches where people got married in the stands and I was able to incorporate their engagement into the performance like it's seamless, like it was almost staged. Crowds in the UK using beach balls, instead of being apprehensive to like, why the F are they doing this? 
you understand that our audience knows they're stars of the show. That could be like stand-up comedy. That didn't work. Somebody's saying something in the, in the audience. I'm going to incorporate that uh, as well. Becoming a, a marquee WWE superstar and becoming a marquee stand-up comedian, they seem to have a ton of correlation. Like the more comedians I talk to in their path, it's kind of very similar to what we do. What's the one thing you have to have as a WWE star? It's imagination, period, point blank. It is scripted narrative. You know, it's entertainment. And you, you have to buy into that reality. But if you don't believe in you're a piece of that world that we're in, in your opponent's piece of that world that we're in, it doesn't work. I don't watch much MMA or anything. And to me, they're just, it's true fight sport. But then a guy like McGregor comes along with a wonderful personality and will talk people into the building. And you either root for him or root against him and you, you buy his fight. Or like uh, Mayweather or Ali, like all of the great talkers, they talk about developing that personality and believing in it. And I think the way to make people to buy into you as a WWE personality is you have to drop the make-believe of it and you have to make it a reality. You have to believe in what you do. How do you think Connor would do as a wrestler? Oh, he'd be fantastic. He is what we do. It's just, it's a little more serious what he does as far as what could go wrong. It, it's a little less predictable. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. It's just a, it literally is a little, I mean... Our surprises are, are getting people to show up at random and trying to weave the choose-your-own-adventure a different alley. His surprises are getting a few teeth knocked out or getting a you know operation. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen with us. Mistakes happen with us. But in his profession, it's not a mistake. It's a certainty. Do you think he'll head that way? Do you think Connor would go towards wrestling? I hope because I want to see it. At my core, I'm a fan. And he's interesting. He has a gravity about him. I want to see him perform. Give me the former wrestler that you would love to get into the ring with. Uh, well, Andre, because Andre was the measuring stick. He's like the last true Don, like the last true godfather. And his name still has a lot of gravity. So definitely Andre. But the fan in me, Stone Cold Steve Austin. How would you do against Andre? Poor, just like everyone else. <laughs> it's not how would you do against Andre. It's whether Andre liked you or not. That's it. If Andre gave you the okay, you were in. If Andre gave you the thumbs up, you were good. And that's a big thumb. It is. It, and then, and then when he gave you the thumbs up, you had to drink uh, two hundred beers with him. <laughs> and and uh, why Stone Cold? I, I would say The Rock, but I had a chance to to wrestle The Rock twice, and it was magic. His height and weight doesn't intimidate me one bit. I don't care if he's six. What do you say? What? I don't care if he's six four, two hundred and sixty five pounds. The point is, he said he was going to rip my throat out, and that's exactly what he's going to have to do to beat me. The Rock has other options. At WrestleMania, my back is against the wall, Rock. As usual, you were half right. If you beat me, I lose everything. But if you think for one second I am afraid of you, then not only you lost your confidence, boy, but you lost your damn mind. What Steve and Dwayne did for the company, the ability to, to broaden its reach and take it public and just become household names. Dwayne's in a universe of his own, but I just never got a chance to wrestle with Steve. And I think, I think we have the same style and the same creative process. And I think it would be fun to do. I did a commercial at ESPN with uh, Stone Cold. Saw it, loved it. Whack. Could I get another one of those? <laughs> <laughs> he, had the, he had the pad on his back. I think he'd had back surgery and he had this pad there and he goes, just make sure you don't miss. Yeah. And I'm going, 
<laughs> like, holy shit. Like, I, I'm picking up, uh, you know, this folding chair that I have in my studio, and I, I hit him, and I'm thinking, oh, and he goes, no, you got to make it work, brother. Yeah. <laughs> the, the last one I did was the one, the take that they had, and all the papers on this uh, bulletin board were like, whoosh. And I hit him as hard as I could possibly hit him. Yeah. And he, he didn't budge. And he goes, thanks, Dan. <laughs> and then that was it. And then we got done, and I said, God, that scared me to death. He goes, as long as you hit the pad, brother. That's all, that, <laughs> all you got to do, hit the pad. I mean, I could have hit a glancing blow, John, and, and like hit him in the back of that. Have you had those moments where somebody has to do this and they don't do exactly what they're supposed to do? Uh, yeah, but it's no fault of anyone's. It's just uh, it's basic mathematics. You do something enough times... And something is, is, it is, something's going to happen. What's great about our community is there isn't one person who goes out there with the intent on taking advantage of the system of trust that we've got developed. Those things do happen, but never once have I come into a, a circumstance where it's been intentional. Do you hide real pain? I think a lot of performers do. But to me, hell no, because there's no other way for that to translate. Like, it's the most genuine believable thing. And this is why I love WWE because as a performer, you have to be on your toes. If my shoulder's falling apart, I tore my pec, uh, my, my elbow is about to burst. I don't see why you can't take what's happening and integrate it because it's believable. Like if we need a doctor stoppage to communicate, if we have to stop a match due to injury, like all of that stuff works. But as performers, we get so bent out of shape because I, I had more that I wanted to show this audience. I wanted to show them that I was capable of more. Best actor in the ring you've ever seen? Vince McMahon. What is it about him? This is his thing, and he took it from being a, a regional thing to national and then global, and he gets it because he created it. So, like, the way he walks, the way he talks, you know, his, his run as the chairman in the middle of the Attitude Era and, like, evil Vince, he's made for it, and he gets it. Like, he puts ego and self aside and goes out there and gives everything to it. I love the acting part of it. When did wrestling allow itself to acknowledge that, you know, this is scripted, that this is us acting? I think it had something to do. I say I think because it's complete speculation. If we were entertainment, we could be in more places and do more things. And I think that's why we admitted it's entertainment. But a lot of the mystique used to be around whether it was real or not. And man, that was you know, 20, 30 years ago. So we're still going strong with a larger reach than ever. It just goes to show that people just want to be entertained. They want a chance to escape. I think what WWE offers better than anything is because we empower the fans to be a superstar. We shoot the audience. They make their signs. And there's broadcasts where I've been on where audiences just hijack the show. Just so loud and so disruptive. WWE offers a release, an escape, just a, a chance to... Go in and just lighten that backpack, man, and, and, and have some fun. What's the craziest thing you've encountered as a wrestler? I think when, when people breach the barricade and try to become a part of the performance in the ring, every one of us has instincts and, and what we should do, but I don't think there is ever a right decision on what you do in that because it's, it's wrong in the first place. It's, just, it's, it's dangerous for everyone involved. What we do is extremely dangerous, and that's the thing. It's one of those things like... Uh, driving fast is really awesome. And, and when you're a professional driver driving at 200 miles an hour and you have control of what's going on, that's great. But once you lose control, it could be deadly. We are in there with a built culture of we are going to push the boundaries of our athleticism and it's going to be very dangerous, but we have that trust. And when, you, when someone else comes into that equation who has no idea of what that means, 
it, it's dangerous for everybody. But is this like boy band though stuff, John, when you're walking around and they want to touch you, grab you? It's not like that outside. There's so much merchandise driven by the product. It's definitely less like a boy band and more like, like a, a, an athlete in that regard. But in the event, it's awesome because there's no home team. I was just telling to somebody. So if you're cheering for someone I don't like, I not only can boo them, I can turn around and, and tell you to go to hell. And then it's louder noise and then more interest because you want your horse to finish first. Like it's, it's really interesting in that regard. There is no home team and everybody is kind of at their best and heightened because they want their performer to do the best they can. What about stand-up comedy? Would you try it? No. <laughs> so I, I don't want to say no because I'm always telling people to embrace the uncomfortable. So I don't want to say that I'm seeking it out. It's an act of bravery getting up there with just you and a microphone in front of an audience. And I know how nervous it is to get in a ring where at least I know I have all these tools to fall back on. It's just you out there with stand-up. That really is an act of bravery. See, you could get Amy and some, some comedians to write a stand-up act for you. I, I would tell Amy to write a stand-up act and do it herself. Well, no, she might have jokes that, that will be funnier coming from you. And then you go into the audience, you grab a heckler, and then you throw them, like you stage it, that, you know, the, you throw them into a wall or something. That'd be pretty good. What do you think? Or maybe just pick up a, f a folding <laughs> chair and, yeah, all right, you heckle me, son yeah. of a bitch. Yeah, okay, all right, we're, we're, we're crafting the, the, the bit right here. <laughs> yeah, I was also curious about, you know, the comedy part of this, but also being an action hero, because as a wrestler, you're an action hero. It's different, but yes. But, but could you see yourself being an action hero You've already proven that you can do comedy. Diving into the Fast universe was really fun. The Suicide Squad had a lot of action in it. Uh, I remember the early movies that I did were like cookie-cutter action movies, for lack of a better term. I kind of did those for the wrong reasons, and I don't regret any of it. It was a wonderful life's lesson. But I don't try to, to say uh, I don't want to do action or I don't want to do this or that project. One of the biggest takeaways is I love storytelling. So the great thing about film and television is I get to read the story before I act it out. WWE is kind of like, okay, you guys are together. Good luck. You, you make it up, you figure it out. If I can read a story and I can like it and be interested in it, I know that at least it falls within my skill set and I can contribute. If I don't like it, no one attached is going to sway my opinion. I thought uh, Suicide Squad was kind of a good blend of comedy and action. Yeah, that's the brilliant mind of James Gunn for you. What's the role you want to do? I'll know it when I read it. And that's why I'm kind of all over the map. Uh, you know, I'm going to, to film Argyle with uh, Matthew Vaughn, which is a, a, a wonderful spy-based thriller. Uh, Vacation Friends on Hulu right now. That's different from Jacob Toretto and Fast and Peacemaker from Suicide Squad. The one common thread in all those projects is I really love the scripts. I know what I have to, to offer a project. And if I read it and I love it, uh, I want to be a part of it. But how do you know that? I've read scripts before and I can read them and I, I have no idea if they're any good. Zero. I just read it, and if I don't like it, it doesn't interest me. And if I read it cover to cover, I like that. Okay, let's, let's try to go forward with it. And I don't read it for a part either. I read it cover to cover as a story. And that way when they say, okay, you're the taxi cab driver, or you're the guy with the toilet bowl on his helmet, or you're the crazy <laughs> spaced out uh, vacation friend. But me as a performer, I just want to enjoy the material. It's really a process that helps me. Tell me about the movie. Vacation Friends, uh, the, the, the synopsis for Vacation Friends. The synopsis is easy. The two words say it all, Vacation Friends. 
It starts with two couples that meet on vacation. It's that instance where, all right, I've had a wonderful single serving moment with these people. And the, the movie asks the question, what would happen if you met up again? So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Uh, we got a, a, a great cast. It is what it says it is. It's, it's a movie diving into the hilarity of Vacation Friends. Okay, you know something? We just gone. We gonna just head to the gate. Yeah. No, 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 Guys, gotta do this again. The four of us are too good together not to. Yes! Oh my God, you guys should come out for the Oregon State Fair next month. Yeah, it's in Oregon. We go every year. Last year we took a double dose of DMT. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, it's all natural. It's just the chemical your brain releases when you die. Oh, okay. Sounds fun. Great. Give us your number. Favorite scene in the movie? There's a party scene where I'm not wearing very much at all. That was pretty interesting to film. We shot this in Puerto Rico right before the world shut down. So, like, the party montage in Puerto Rico was pretty awesome because that was our last experience with life pre-lockdown and pre-pandemic. And that made it even more special when we got to film again because, like, we got to go back to work and we were all the first people that we saw. So we left each other in this crazy party atmosphere and then reunited to get back together. But we really did get back together and see each other after eight and a half months. So it was, it was just awesome seeing people again. Would you rather win another belt or get nominated for an Academy Award? Oh, man. Um, I really think regardless of my ability, I'd, I'd probably have heavy influence over one of those <laughs> and zero influence <laughs> over the other. <laughs> Man, if, if I had to choose between one of the two options, I think the, the Oscar would be pretty intriguing, but I'd rather just keep entertaining folks. I, I don't think either of them are necessarily on my radar because I think you can, you can have a very prolific existence without either, either one of those. How many belts do you have, John? Uh, one right now, and it's holding up my pants. <laughs> Where do you put your awards? Well, you got to give the titles back, so I don't, I don't have the titles. Wait, they don't even give you a replica? Yeah, I mean, you can get one, but well, what do I want that for? I lived it, man. I carried that thing through the airports. I'm good. <laughs> No, I I, uh, I don't really keep them. Wait, you carry the belt through the airport? Oh, yeah, yeah. Over your shoulder? Man, when you win it, you I'm not over my shoulder. <laughs> oh, do you wear it? <laughs> Put it in your gear bag, brother. Oh, 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 okay. I thought, now, if you really want to show off, then you, you wear it. You can't go through the metal detector, though, with it on. But you have to put it through the metal detector, and without fail. Could you uh, <laughs> open your bag, sir? <laughs> okay. And you've probably done that, haven't you? That happens every time. They pull it out and they want to look at it? So you're doing five shows a week, which means you're flying like six times during the week, which means you get stopped six <laughs> times in the airport and they, they take the title out and they look at it and they show everybody else and they put it back in. You're on your way. Have you had a wardrobe malfunction? Nothing with the, with the peculiar bits coming out. <laughs> I, I wrestled with food poisoning once and had everything come out of every possible entry and exit. Oh. That was a bit of a... A bit of a bad experience. Well, and also the person you're wrestling. Yeah, yeah, it was it was rough for them as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, good luck with the movie, and uh, thanks for reminiscing, and uh, we appreciate your time, John. No, thank you so much, man. It's always great to talk to you. New episodes of That Scene are available exclusively on Amazon Music. And all of Season 1 is available wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure you follow us in the Amazon Music app. That Scene with Dan Patrick, created, hosted, produced by me. Our showrunner and producer is Brendan Pike, edited by Nathan Moody. The show is executive produced by Paul Anderson, Nick Pinella, and Andrew Greenwood. 
Our associate producers, Bill Ryan and Marvin Prince. That scene is an Amazon original and a production of Dan Patrick Productions. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to That Scene with Dan Patrick ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.